Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. It's a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, a Paramount podcast. I am Mike Casaza here on time, as usual, to get you ready for the upcoming football game involving the Mountaineers of West Virginia University. Thursday, preview day for Saturday, game day. 3.30 p.m. kick, ESPN Plus, the Mountaineers, and Texas Tech University to help me out. Chris Anderson. Uh, Chris, what color jersey are you wearing today? We need some gray ones, some gray and black and white ones, just to drive everybody nuts. It's looking for the ad- traditional colors. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So you're full participation, though. Yeah. Okay. Um, a little bit of news, I think, here coming out um, behind the scenes. That would be Wednesday. The big day of practice for the university's football team and Garrett Green apparently wearing a red jersey, moving around gingerly, limited participant in practice. Red usually means no go. Did some drill stuff, not a whole lot after that. Certainly puts Nico Marchio on track to start for the first time in his career and to assist West Virginia in the task of snapping a four-game losing streak against Texas Tech. Chris, this game has kind of been a barometer for in the past, for many years, you kind of look at what Dana Holgerson did and what Neil Brown has done or has not done. The outcome typically follows the fate of the season. It's not foolproof. And and again, it's a little bit jilted because Neil Brown's 0-4, and these have not been four terrific seasons for him. But I think being 1-0 in the Big 12 and having your first three-game winning streak in your fifth season, that would be a good sign for West Virginia. It would be a start. That's for sure. But I, I got to ask you something because I had talked with the Texas Tech guys and it was the very first thing they brought up. And you just mentioned it right there. Does it matter that it's 0 4 against Texas Tech or are we just talk like it's just another bullet point on, on the bigger picture here of what we're talking about with Neil Brown? It just takes a bullet out of the chamber for the opponents of him, you know, because you can just keep firing at him and like, you know, has it beaten a rival? Well, he beat Virginia Tech twice, right? And they just beat Pitt. And you could say, well, should have won the Pitt game last year. Really could have lost the Pitt game this year, but coach his way through it. And then, you know, those are big picture things, but little things. Again, a three-game winning streak. It's impossible to win eight games if you don't win three in a row at some point. So you're not getting to eight games because you haven't won three in a row. And three, when you look at non-conference, that should be attainable sometimes. And then, of course, if you haven't beat Texas Tech, which kind of fell apart and changed coaches and rebooted within the same time that Brown has been on campus. I mean, yeah, that's, that is certainly, that's either a, a torch or a pitchfork that people can carry. 
and you can either extinguish it or knock it out of their hands with a win. Well, let me ask you this question again. I asked you it last week. What is the scenario this week? Because it didn't happen last week. Where the, let's say, detractors will ease off Neil Brown a little bit. If Marquia was good in defeat, I would think. Um, if they win, they have to back off, obviously. But I think if I'm assuming that Marquio was going to play, and I think that's been the one recruit that had it's hard to hard to conceptualize this, never mind explain it. But I mean, quarterback has been the bugaboo for him. And if he got a four star quarterback who was going to Florida State and then he was available again and they pull him in from Arizona to play at West Virginia, and if he can come in and step in and be strides beyond what he was Saturday night against Pitt and they lose you you have something there if they win we have two things you have something there with the quarterback of the future Chris who might also be the quarterback of the present we can get into that too so there's some excitement with the win and there's some intrigue out of a loss about maybe this guy who I don't know throws for 280 yards and a touchdown or two touchdowns whatever just those numbers out there that aren't out of this world even if they lose and it's competitive and the quarterback didn't lose but gave him a chance to win, I think that would maybe in defeat would make people back off a little bit. And is there a scenario where something happens Saturday where that's it? This is there's no coming back. Boat race. If they don't come out of the locker room prepared, if they look like they did against Duquesne or maybe even again and the pits again, eh, not a great example, but I don't think that brand of football thrilled people. It's not sustainable to to allow six or to score 17 to win games. Um, if, if they're mediocre on offense, I don't think people are going to be like, well, you know, they scored 16, but they only gave up 23. I don't think that's going to do it for people here either. There, there need to be some fireworks, especially because, you know, I think they have enough of a level of intrigue right now based on the win and having three straight home games. You get three straight wins. You don't get three in a row at home very often. It's been eight years. You, you have to make good on some of this stuff here because if they lose, you have two on the road. Who knows how they're going to go and who knows who's still on the bandwagon. It's about basketball season at that time, Chris, right? By the time they come home again, um, it, it's kind of a, a thin ice moment, I would think. All right. I just want to make sure because we checked that last week with Pitt and, and we both agreed like it had to be the boat race one way or the other for the detractors to chill out or for the optimists to – I guess give up hope, um, and neither happened, mm-hmm. which was, was expected. You know, you're not ex- really expecting a blowout in that game, but we'll see. Maybe it's, you know, it's under the same standard here for at least a couple more weeks. Speaking of same standard, let's get into Texas Tech here. I want to quote Jared Johnson, the publisher of Inside the Red Raiders, which is our Texas Tech site. They're doing rapid fire questions from their staff. And Jared's lead quote is, um, what's your main takeaway from the victory over Tarleton State? How about this? Same old, same old, right? The defense will be competitive, if not pretty good, but the offense still has no idea what its identity yet and has a lot to figure out. That sounds nothing like Texas Tech that we've known from the past. It's usually the other way around. What in the world's going on with the Red Raiders? Well, it sounds like there's a quarterback situation going on, and that's that's interesting because you and I, when we previewed or discussed at times texas tech when they have their quarterback healthy tyler show it's good things happen and that's always been the case west virginia has never been able to face him because he's always been hurt and when he's hurt things go bad when he's healthy things go go well 
Well, he's been healthy this year, but he's not been the same quarterback. And there has been some questions about that. And I know, you know, when I went and, and sent my questions over to Jarrett about the um, about Texas Tech and preview this game, he was really upfront. I was like, yeah, that is the biggest talk right now is the quarterback situation in Lubbock and what they're going to do there, um, which that was not on my bingo card for what Tech was going to be going through by the time West Virginia got to play them in week four. They hadn't even played uh, Morton in the first two games, and they gave him all but one drive of the second half last week against Tarleton State. First seven drives for the starter, two touchdowns and a field goal. The backup comes in after the first drive of the second half, has four possessions, touchdown, touchdown, field goal, interception. And all of a sudden, people are projecting right away, wait a minute, give him the same amount of time, give him less time, and it's going to be better results or it couldn't look worse. And they're already saying, like, no, we're not changing quarterbacks. <laughs> Neil Brown quipped that uh, if they watch the tape of last year's game, they'll start Morton because I'm not sure he's thrown an incomplete pass yet. <laughs> wasn't quite that good, but it was certainly wasn't coming out party for him. Different quarterbacks, too, really quick comes out of um, Morton's hands. And everything else a little bit more traditional with more of a running threat when the starter is situated. And that seems to be more what their offense is. And he solved some problems because we can get into it right now. If we want to start in the Texas Tech Cypress. Good running back. Not a great running game, though. It's not. They don't they don't like to get on on the ground much. And, and Neil Brown went out of his way to say, hey, this guy's an NFL running back. This guy's an NFL running back. And. Maybe he is, but they certainly don't use him like they have an NFL running back right now. And, and maybe that's just the the way of the offense, but there are, they just, it's still, I believe I'm looking at it. Yeah. 50, about 55, 45, 50, a little, maybe a little more uh, pass oriented, but I just don't feel like Brooks is getting the carries. He probably should, if he is as good as, you know, Neil Brown and some others like Neil Brown's not alone on that. Uh, thinks he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't like to run the ball. They run the ball 11.2% less than the expectation of an average team in a situation. So you're looking at like second one, they're likely to pass it like more than one time out of 10, just because they're more comfortable or feel better about their chances in, in situations where a run might be the good play. They like to pass it better. And again, not in love with their quarterback either. This is surprising Chris, because everybody talks about everybody here talks about the continuity and the collective experience of West Virginia's offensive line. Um, based on returning starts coming in the season, Texas Tech was actually more experienced, had more. This is quite an experiment, though. They brought in a transfer from Western Kentucky. He's their center. They moved their returning center to right guard. They flipped their right and left tackles, and all of the right guards have played two games and missed one. They And not surprisingly here, a lot changing. They can't run the ball, and they do not like to go up the middle either. No, they No, they don't. And that's that was one of the first things I noticed was rushing direction. I got them um, as a team, you know, not counting scrambles or breakdowns with the quarterback, uh, going outside 49 times outside of the tackles, 49 times compared to just 28 times between the tackles, which is, again is, is is a little bit of a flip from what we've seen with other teams and what we've seen West Virginia do as well. So that's something that West Virginia and their linebackers and those edge rushers, those bandits need to be prepared for on Saturday. If you're familiar, if you care for EPA as a concept here, but uh, expected points added per play, per possession, you find a whole bunch of different metrics for that. Um, 
their 31.9% success rate on EPA and a run play. So basically they improve their situation on a run, not even one third of the time. Uh, and that is a lower number in the country. In fact, um, 123 out of 132 teams. So don't like to do it. And you probably understand why, because they're not very good at it here. Uh, they do throw it. something. Sorry, you want something added on to that, which makes it even crazier what you just said? Hit me. The down that they run on the most by a large margin, first down. Yeah. So they are setting themselves up for failure. As you noted, would you say less than a third of the time are they quote-unquote successful mm-hmm. with a run? They are running on first down 53% of the time. When And then when you get the second and third down, it drops down to 40% of the time. So they, they are running on first down, putting themselves in a bad situation. And that's just, it doesn't seem like smart football to me. No. Yeah, and and they'll have to fix this or change this maybe as soon as Saturday because it's a trend that's going to get caught and it's going to spell trouble for them. And if you again, if you want to get into metrics and EPA and things like that here, their percentage of success on first down is like 83 in the country, pretty low. Their early downs, EPA, which means on first and second down, they're better than when they started the snap. 111 out of 132. And West Virginia's defense, I don't want to give it away here. I think it's a key to the game, but West Virginia has one of the best defenses on early downs and also final downs too. So they're stingy. And I just have a feeling if you're, we're starting to see some pass rush from West Virginia, maybe they cover better, maybe they don't. Um, And I know you're saying, well, Mike, they played Duquesne. Duquesne gave him fits at times and doesn't necessarily slant this unfairly toward West Virginia because of an FCS opponent. They did some work against West Virginia's defense, and then they got it right. But Pitt, Duquesne, Penn State, West Virginia's been pretty good defensively on first down, and that's let them be successful on third and fourth down, too. We're talking about Texas Tech. We're also talking about third and fourth down. I don't know, just something about Joey McGuire, the head coach. I think he's kind of intriguing. I've always said this since he's been there. They seem to have the most fun. It's kind of a simple approach, too. Um, I don't know if it's like video game or what, but like they had these things like, you know, oh, um, three turnovers a game. That should that's our, that'll be our mantra. Yeah, well, no kidding, right? And also, like, I don't know if he's playing a video game where yeah, you get three turnovers, you're probably going to win or do a lot with it. But also, like, just go for it on fourth down. A few teams of any uh, last years have gone for it more on fourth down. I think actually they had the most attempts and conversions last year, and they're tied and leading for the last year plus in fourth down conversions and attempts here. West Virginia's defense probably had to stay on the field for four downs a couple of times, I would imagine, in this game, too. But is that offensive approach? Is that the year 2023 in college football? Or is that because the first and second downs just aren't very good? Nation of all of it. I, I think I, th- I do think it trends that way in 2023. But I think Tech's offense is just it's just kind of built that way, a little bit different like that. And um yeah, you're right in that. I think there's going to be some fourth downs that they have to face, and it, it it's very. I don't know. It, it it just seems strange to me that you would have such an obvious hey run on first down, pass on second, pass on third because that, that's setting yourself up for failure. One, if you're not having success with the run, it's making it second and third along, and two, you know the defense can really set up for it. And we'll see if West Virginia notices that, switches that up, or if there's something that's indicative, uh, you know, an indicator how tech lines up that maybe they'll switch things up and West Virginia can read it. Key to their offense, the receivers, Neil Brown said that maybe probably the best receiver core 
in the Big 12, it's not just the wideouts, although that, that would be the ones he was talking about there. But as I extend this conversation, they'll throw it to their running backs and just sound the uh, alarm here, Chris, uh, tight end alert. Don't do it. Don't no? do it, Mike. No? No. He's 6'9". Kind of nice. He is tough. What do you stuff that? Now wait a second. Now I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Has there been a tight end that that's really torn West Virginia up in those first three games? I mean, it's not sticking out to me. No, Penn State used their tight ends effectively, but more as like conduits to their running game. Didn't really target him or use him a lot in the past game. And since then, no. Like again, Bartholomew is a good player for Pitt, but that offense was so sideways or even worse that he was not a factor. And obviously, they didn't run the ball very well either. And I wouldn't count Duquesne. I, one of they even had a tight end in the field sometimes. So no, knock on wood here if you're West Virginia fam, but you also know the past. And then they do use Tharp in the past game. Again, 6-9 against linebackers or defensive backs, that's going to be an advantage you would be wise to take advantage of. Sorry, Mike, I'm going with the trends. West Virginia is a defense that shuts down tight ends now. Official. Secondary for West Virginia, different schematically, I guess, different in success to where are we looking here for the corners and safeties matched up against the, uh, let's just say people who catch passes for Texas tech. Well, I think the most interesting thing I'm going to watch here is how West Virginia handles their corners because it, Pitt was bad. It was slow. And when you have a bad quarterback, a bad offense and a slow offense, it's kind of easy to stick with two corners and let them hang out. And they, they they swapped in some of the safeties, but for the most part, it was like four guys, five guys that were out there um, for West Virginia in the secondary. I don't think they could do that against Tech. I think it's going to pick up the tempo. I think they have more options at receiver. I think they have a better quarterback. I'm interested to see how much West Virginia rotates because they cannot get by with two corners in this game. In my Am I correct in that statement? I mean, especially they're going to go like with 10 personnel or if they go 10 personnel and put one of the tight ends in the slot, they'll play two tight ends, by the way, watch a little bit of tape on this, but they they'll put Tharp in the slot or they'll, I mean, they use him in the passing game. there's two tight ends they like to use and he's one they keep on the field most of the time, but they can go traditional like 10 personnel. They can motion uh, Brooks out of the backfield. They still have Xavier White there who can move around. They can get a little bit funky there. And I think because of that, uh, one, you might see more Marcus Floyd, and I, I don't I don't know if people think about him as a coverage guy, but looks like an upgrade over Keyshawn Cobb, and that's a guy who has cornerback background, has played safety at West Virginia. He might be able to stick it as some of that in like nickelback action, and that would keep you from having to play like Andrew Wilson-Lamp. I wouldn't even think as an inside guy. I think he's probably would be better as an outside guy than a slot guy, but if you do that and you bump Beanie Bishop inside because he has done that before, well, then you lose one of your best corners outside. You're putting him inside, and you're bringing on a player in Wilson Lamp or Jacoby Spells, who just hasn't played very well or very often this year. It just seems to me like Floyd would be a guy who could play a lot this game and could play a big role in it. And if they get Keyshawn Cobb back, what do they do there? Can they steal some snaps with him in the slot? Because he was that that army knife kind of a guy for a while. Not very good results. Didn't play last game. Um, I'm trying to remember Brown's update on him from Monday, but I, I want to say maybe it was probably, oh, I don't know, too early to say, but just getting those guys back there would help. And I think Floyd's the guy you got to circle and watch and see how much and where he plays. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. 
This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus be interesting with the week two of saying hey we're not doing things and then week three still don't think we saw everything that that they were changing i mean obviously they changed some of the personnel they changed a little bit how they were attacking but this is going to be the true test to see if they fixed the issues that we saw against penn state yeah and not a great team to play man against either not a lot of teams play man against texas tech but also because like should can run too, like their quarterback can keep it and go. And if you are chasing a receiver in man to man and they're running, you know, three, four, five guys on routes, again, West Virginia can get pressure. And if the quarterback breaks pocket, he's running and you're he's looking at the back of defenders' jerseys, he's going to gain yardage there. So I'd imagine maybe somebody devoted as a spy, which is going to make the run game interesting, but also like certainly zone where you're going to have, if not 11 sets of eyes on them enough that you're not going to get caught off guard there. Um, finally, Chris, on offense, if that's okay with you, um, we waited this long to do it, which means that uh, our tempo is not up to uh, snuff here. But few offenses in the country run more plays or run plays faster than Texas Tech. Um, West Virginia struggles against Kansas and then Texas Tech and maybe some in between and after. That forced them to really get the paring knife in the offseason and make their offense simpler, excuse me, their defense simpler. Um more, um, I guess, elementary would be the word, just so there's less communication and reorganization before the snap. Get lined up. Um, you haven't seen him do a whole lot as far as like pre-snap stuff and moving around and shifting and dropping defenders because they're focused on getting 11 in the spot, getting 11 people right where they're supposed to be, and then playing the snap. Um, wasn't great the first two games, but neither the defense was very great or the results were very great, but it's not because they had this new approach, I don't think. But this is the test, though. I mean, they made these changes because of a pattern of performances, and and we'll see, I suppose, if that was time well spent. Biggest issue that we saw last season was was them not being able to get lined up, them not being able to communicate, talking about West Virginia's secondary. This, again, will be you know, the point where we get to see if, if the, any of that changed, if any of that is better. And I don't think there's been an opportunity to really check that yet. I mean, obviously they got eaten up by Penn State, but I don't feel like Penn State was running out tempo and, and get, catching West Virginia secondary off guard quite as much as, like, say, Texas Tech did last season. So this is it. Like, this this is a game that could really – you know, I said last week that the Pitt game was the most important game in Neil Brown's tenure, and I still believe that. Like, if they had lost that game, that might have been it. But this is going to be the one that's going to tell you – if they've fixed the secondary and the issues that really plagued the last season's team. All right. That'll let us switch sides of the ball here, because I think you could hold a referendum vote here about Brown after the game, but you're also going to have a lot of people who vote one way or the other and say, yeah, but don't forget backup quarterback. And I'm not sure how much of a difference there is between the two. And maybe we'll know more or less on Saturday, but the quarterback is a key figure here for myriad reasons. And one of them is that it looks like Mark is going to start have, as much leeway as you can 
against a defense that's good. <laughs> like this again, this is weird. Like what strikes me most about Texas Tech, Chris, is that they've got guys and they have had guys for a few years, but like they're actually performing well um, at all three levels. But in particular, their defensive line has been good for a while. It's good again, but their secondary seems like that's the difference maker this year. Yeah, it really caught me off guard when I started asking uh, Jarrett over at our Texas Tech side. I said, you know, hey, what's going on with the defense? And it was like, defense is good. It's like, wait, what? Huh? I did not know that that was what uh, happened down there in Lubbock. But he said it was, quote, the strength of the team this season. Um, and when I push back on the, you know, hey, the fact that they gave up 35 points against Wyoming and 38 against Oregon, but the team, I believe it was, five maybe six turnovers combined in those two games including four against Oregon so some of that is not really on the defense a lot of that's on the offense and the struggles that they've had but yeah it's a it's a uh, a side of the ball or an aspect of this Texas Tech football program that West Virginia fans are not going to be accustomed to and going to make it tough on on Nico Marchio in his first true start let me well actually you and Jared here um well uh, actually no they don't had to do that they had a 17-point lead against Wyoming, and that defense, um, again, just 4.1 yards per play, 320 total yards. Um, but Wyoming came back and won, and granted, took overtime to get to 35 points, but still, you figure a 17-point lead. I want to say into the second half, right? I uh, don't have that one in front of me. I'll, I'll check in a second here. And then Oregon, listen, Oregon's pretty good. Passed for 359, ran for just 113, but they averaged 6.3 yards per play, got 38 points there. What's what's interesting to me is that I know that Tarleton State's an FCS team, but Tarleton State had scored 104 points in their first two games, actually 52 in their 2-0 start, um, 342, 4.3 yards per play, just three points there. I'm not going to put a ton into that basket, but that is a good offense at that level and had performed well this year and just had nothing going against uh, Texas Tech there. Can, can they go on the road and play well? We'll see, but... Um, I, I just I wonder here. I wonder because when they played two offenses with a pulse, giving up 35 and 38 points, giving up a lead, giving up a ton of yards per play, um, there's there's certainly a pathway somewhere. And I guess this is where we'll begin to talk. Where does West Virginia start, you know, bushwhacking and trailblazing here on offense? Most people at this point are going to say, yeah, hand the ball off because West Virginia's got a great running back room. But I got a stat for you, Mike. Told you I had something for you, something that really caught me off guard when I was I was looking something else up related to it, and it completely caught me off guard. Ooh. There are 14 teams in the Big 12 Conference, correct? I hope I'm correct on that. Yeah. For the time being, you're right. Can you guess which team out of those 14 teams has the lowest missed tackles forced rate by their running back room this season and for the record missed tackles include broken tackles it's not just elusiveness it, it's broken tackles as well uh, which room is the absolute worst i'm gonna guess that it's not texas tech if we're having this conversation it's probably west virginia and i will bring you into the room here too i was talking to somebody who works in the conference and he said that they were watching west virginia and just overlap on opponent, I guess. I'm not sure what the reason was because it doesn't make any sense now that I'm thinking about it. But runs to contact is what they were noting. Donaldson, obviously, but, you know, Anderson gets his foot in the ground and kind of goes forward. And Donaldson's a big guy who wants to run through people. Um, I think Marchio maybe is a bit of a run to contact guy too, but 
what they've lacked is that get around the guy because you haven't seen Green run very much and you haven't seen much of Jaheim White. So that doesn't surprise me now that you point that out to me based on that conversation is that they run into a lot of tackles. And this person forecasts that if they're not careful, teams will catch on to that. Watch out for heads in the heads in the ball. Watch out for strips. Watch out for fumbles, because typically teams that can't get away from it um, have to deal with it, too. Absolutely dead last 14 out of 14. The only team in the Big 12 conference with a missed tackle force rate under 20 percent, meaning one out of every five times that they carry the ball, you know, you're making a, a player miss a tackle. That's what everybody else does. 20.7% for, 20. for Baylor, who's 13 out of 14, and it goes all the way up to, get this, Iowa State at 43.8% missed tackle four straight, like way huh. out in the lead. Uh, that caught me off guard as well. Um, dead last, West Virginia, 18.4%. Um, I have not gone through and checked every team in the entire country, but I imagine that's pretty far down there out of the 130, 31, 32, 33 teams we have right now in FBS football because it is dead last in the Big 12, which just is is stunning considering the guys that you have on this team. Yeah, Let's talk about the run defense. They are kind of loaded up front. They have some players who, again, have been around for a while but their interior defensive line is good. They have a linebacker I want to talk about, but um, they they have been good against the run, but it's also because, like, they lost an NFL draft pick, like a top, I forget where Owens went, but, like, top eight, I think. But similar to West Virginia, did not lose a top draft pick, but lost Stills and, and Jefferson and Alston and nevertheless thought they might be better because of the parts becoming the whole. Similar idea here at Texas Tech where they have some veterans and some named players, honestly. But they have a bunch of contributors now, too, and that's that's helped them against the run. Yeah, the defensive front is solid. Uh, linebackers, you get a couple missed, missed tackles in there. But that first line of defense is so good. And they got a, a safety. Let me pull him up real quick. Who just really gets after it. It does not miss. Dadrian Taylor Demerson Great. Um, does not miss tackles. Uh, he had, I believe it was like one of the best missed tackle rates, you know, tackling percentage, the, uh, the percentage of the time that he makes a tackle when given the opportunity. It's one of the highest in the entire country. Um, so that that front and that back really make a difference in that run defense for them. I have been a fan of Jalen Hutchings for a long, long time, and, and he's playing a lot and playing really well. They have just guys that they can run in there now too, but between Hutchings and um, – and there's just a number of players like Bradford's still there. He's been good for a while. But the guy that, that really gets my attention is their linebacker, uh, Josiah Pierre. Um, really good run stopper. He has 11 stops, according to Pro Football Focus, which means that he wins the run play. He individually makes sure that the run play does not work. 11. Boy, is he bad in coverage. Um, their, their linebackers, have you checked this out, Chris? Oh, you're you you're stealing my thunder here. Go ahead. All right. Go you ahead. can do this because here here's one here's something I'm noticing with West Virginia. They they absolutely want to get Jaheim White on the field. If only so we stop asking about it. And if this is a team that does run the contact and other people are noticing it, they're gonna have to do something different with their running backs. We saw them put two on the field a couple of times last week and we did not see White. Um we know that people are gonna be watching Cole Taylor now because Cole Taylor's very visible. A tight end pops off the page for West Virginia. I wonder if or how they can use the running backs. Obviously, 
zone outside, whatever, toss sweep. So you get, for example, you get Donaldson away from the contact and then he can get downhill. They've done that a little bit, but can they do something with the running backs in the running game or just the tight ends in the, or excuse me, in the passing game or just the tight ends in the passing game? Because they're two starting linebackers. I'll leave the rest of you here, but like 18 completions in 20 pass attempts. That's quite a trend. It goes beyond that too. Yes. You're 100% right about all this because you go through their two deep. By the way, Texas Tech released this thing called a two deep. Um, and they have two, four, seven players listed at the linebacker um, between the three spots. And then there's two other linebackers that, or one other linebacker that has played uh, at least 20 snaps that was not listed on that depth chart. And all of those linebackers in coverage have allowed a combined 35 completions in 40 attempts this season. Hmm. I mean, that is that is astronomically bad. That is horrendous. If you can get guys, like you said, running backs, tight ends, even slot receivers just going across the middle. I mean, not slot receivers, you're going to kind of draw in those slot corners, those nickel corners more often. But if you can get guys going across the middle, going across that kind of shallow middle with those linebackers, Ooh, we teams are having a field day with that. All right, let's talk about Marchio here, too, because they played two offenses that I think you can study. And I'm not saying that they run the Wyoming offense or they have the guns that Oregon does, but Wyoming's offense, there's some principles there. It's 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 Craig Bowl. So it's kind of the one thing that a lot of coaches looked at because this run game is always very good and they do something well without having great weapons. Um, and then Oregon's just nuts. I get that, too, but they've given up yards. And now you've got a running back. You have a running back room that may be more armed than normal with White, possibly Justin Johnson, but you also have a quarterback who can run a little bit, but I really wonder how much they're even going to ask him to run or want him to run because Sean Boyle would be next. And then you still got to get the quarterback going, passing the ball, because I'm going to imagine that Texas Tech is going to say, I don't know what you can do, number eight, but let's see what that left hand has. We're not letting you hand off and beat us on the run. So how do they get Marchio going here against this defense? think i hate to say this but they almost have to let him make his own mistakes it's like like when you're talking about like a player or, or a kid growing up like let you learn from your mistakes let you go out there and just do it and see what happens because obviously with the game against Pitt, you're just trying to survive they've admitted that and don't blame him for that at all and his only other real opportunity was against duquesne where he played like a half, uh, what was it? Yeah, it was the full half, right? Um, so are they really going to open up the playbook for that game? No. But he also came into the Oklahoma State game last season and got some uh, time to close out that game. Mike, can you guess how many what PFF calls big-time throws Nico Marchio has made in those three games? Uh, I looked it up. Oh, three games. Ooh, uh, I, I could not tell. You. I looked up the the two where he came out the bench. So I know that number. I don't know the three though. It's zero. It, it, between okay. between the three games, the big time throws would be for Oklahoma State, Duquesne, and Pitt. Zero big time throws, and that's not really anything against him. I'm not saying like he wasn't capable of making, them, but it's almost like he hasn't been called upon to make those throws. And I feel like you have to at least give him that opportunity to get the ball down the field and try to make what they call a big-time throw. 
Yep. Um, they have a bit of a cat and canary thing going on right now where there's obvious concern about the status of the quarterback position here. And, oh, no, are they going to give Nico his first start? It's the guy they really like, and I bet they probably wanted him to win the preseason competition just because I think his ceiling long-term is higher than Green's. Nothing against Green. If Green's your starter, that's fine. He's done good things the first three games. I think if you look at – if you had to pick a trading card, you'd probably pick Marquios, right? Um, they really think that he can do some stuff and that with a week of practice and preparation, he'll be fine. And, man, if they can get Horton in and use White and get Gallagher going, then you've got three weapons. you got three rocket boosters that maybe Green hadn't had and might have one day benefited from, but not yet. So this would be a good time for them to arrive too, so – I'm with you. Let him go and see what he can do. And if it doesn't work, then okay. Similar to having a backup quarterback coming in, go to your backup plan with your backup quarterback. And if plan A doesn't work, revert a little bit. And and again, get those shears out and trim the playbook and see what he's comfortable with or what's going to work against that defense and go from there. Chris, a couple minutes. We'll wrap it up here. The important question, 330 game done early. I'm hoping finally, right? We get back to an eight o'clock game next week. And then a man, a Thursday night game after that. Anyways, we have some sunshine. At the end of our day, perhaps here, um, when we do wrap up this podcast, we will or wrap up this game. We meet in the podcast. Who, what are we talking about that contributed to the outcome? Other than Nico Marchio, I can't would take say, that one. Can't take that one. Cole Taylor. Um, for a lot of the same reasons you talked about here with, with the linebackers and how weak they are in coverage. Uh, I predicted two games ago that I felt like. Taylor was the strongest asset in the passing game and that West Virginia would make him the most targeted player for the team this season, despite the fact that he's a tight end. And that's not usually the position that's getting the most targets. Throw in Neil Brown's comments. And I don't have them in front of me. I'm trying to remember exactly what they were, but something along the lines of Nico being more than capable or his strong suit being really throwing it hard in between the hash marks and right in there in the middle. Um, What was that? Was that on there? That? It was... like, no, that was good. It was it was like he he throws a good ball right in the middle. There's a lot of velocity on it. It's a very specific uh, piece of praise. Yeah, and I'm like, wait a second. So he throws it very hard, very well in the middle of the field, and the team you're about to play is very weak right there in the middle of the field, and maybe your best receiver is right there in the middle of the field. Give me Cole Taylor game. It's a good one. Um Listen, there's a gigantic red panic button out there somewhere that they did not have to reach for once they got the game under control last week. But I'm sure once Green went out, there was some panic. Um, and But this time you have the whole week to get ready, and you should be good. But this game means so much to a lot of people in the program because of the 0-4 mark. And yeah, the pick game important too, but I keep saying whiplash, whiplash, because this game, because they lose that game, they can get a lot of the goodwill back here. They won that game. They can keep it going or they can lose that goodwill here. So uh, I just think that the nerves and the fingernails are going to be on edge in the first quarter here. And if you look at scoring splits the past couple of years in this game, for West Virginia in general, for Texas Tech in general, it favors Texas Tech. And this is a team that wants to play fast and wants to put a lot of pressure, I'm assuming, on the opposition's quarterback just because of the circumstances. Watch Texas Tech in that first quarter, going for it on fourth down, Kicking field goals, nope, probably going for touchdowns. I think they're going to try to turn the screws on West Virginia, get some points, panic the people, panic the coaches as much as they can, as often as they can, and get something going in that first quarter so that momentum is working for them. And then West Virginia compromised maybe with the back of quarterback. On edge, certainly, if they're having to play with the deficit and you wonder how people react to that. 
I wouldn't even say the first quarter. I'd say the first half of the first quarter is what I would talk about after this game. How did that go? That's probably your trendsetter for the rest. And that'll do it for us here. Same rotation of stories coming up. Fresh set, three keys to the game by the numbers. Previews of all sorts just starting right here. Hope you enjoy the rest. Hope to catch you after the game. Until then, I'm Mike Casaza. Chris Anderson. Talk to you then. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus.